of the Degenerate Hawkeyes podcast. Trenton Biz with you as spring football has wrapped up and now the long, long summer offseason is upon us. Still got some Iowa baseball going on. Biz, spring football in the books, and we got a special guest today as our friend Mr. Brian Melton will be dropping by, who used to work at Arlington Park and going to help us out with our horse racing. Though I like to bet on the ponies, I know absolutely nothing about it. Friend slash handicapping expert, I guess. Yes, yes. He should be quite honored. This is only the second time ever we've brought in a uh, a third party, and, and even Stat Boy hasn't been able to make an appearance. But r- rumors have it that he he may be carving out a, a special episode down the road, so he, he may be the third one. But uh, uh, since I, I don't believe I will be face to face with Melt in this, I'll just uh, I'll. I'll I'll step out of the way since uh, you may know little about the ponies. I know absolutely nothing. So, uh, but I do pretend to know something about Iowa football. So let's let's start with that. Let's do that. A spring football finishes up Friday night uh, last week, and with it, some questions I think answered. Still, plenty of questions out there though with next season's team. As as you go through and the stories that we've read, some of the things that we've heard uh, from people in Iowa City biz. Overall, just start with your big takeaway. Your, your big takeaway from the spring and and what you found out about this squad. Well, first of all, it's kind of hard to have a takeaway when you don't get a chance to actually uh, see the team. Does, yeah. does, does, does spring football really happen when nobody gets to actually see them? I mean, they just you know for the last three or four years they've they've not only had the spring game but they've also had the the open practice in Des Moines. So uh, there's been multiple opportunities to see them, and that didn't happen this year. So. Uh, I would say anything we say today, Trent, with the caveat of we are we are completely guessing since we didn't get to see him play. But uh, I think my biggest caveat is you can usually read between the, the tea leaves of what the coaches say about Iowa football and, and how they kind of uh, frame their responses. And I think my takeaway is that I think this uh, the coaching staff likes this team, and I think they've got they they think this team has a chance to be. Uh, be pretty darn good. I mean, it didn't seem like they uh, they shied away from expectations when talking about uh, certain players and certain position groups. Yeah, there, there's a lot of different angles with this squad. You know, we talked uh, about the move to the four two five. I did find it interesting. Phil Parker and the coaches have gone through and and talked to uh, the media throughout the weeks. One thing that Phil Parker mentioned about that that cash position after we saw Monty Hooker a year ago take over that spot a couple games into the season after the Wisconsin game, and they decided to go that route. You figured that that would be an oversized safety or or a linebacker that can really run because that's what Hooker was. He has uh, said this is more like an extra cornerback position, and we see it looks like DJ Johnson's going to be the guy that probably is going to win that job and be the 11th starter on the defense. And I found that interesting just because Hooker, I mean, his skill set is so immense. The guy was a playmaker all over the field, and to be able to go from a safety felt like a linebacker, but really he was playing what they consider a cornerback position, an extra cornerback, shows you his versatility and maybe changes the idea that I have for that extra spot in that 4 2 5. 
Well, I think when you, when you look at the four guys that left early, I mean, obviously you get two guys that, that go to the top 20, you're going to miss them immensely. But of the four, I think the hardest to, to replace or the one we may miss the most this year is Hooker. I just think he was phenomenal in that that position. And when you think about it, I mean, they made that that change midseason. I mean, it was right after the Wisconsin game, and they asked him to basically uh, become a new player in a new position, and uh, he did it pretty much uh, seamlessly. And there was never really any hiccups in there. And, you know, the things he did incredibly well is, A, he tackled incredibly well in space. I mean, he was a guy that just a one-on-one tackler, really, really good. Um, and two, um, he was comfortable both, you know, equally comfortable in both pass coverage and in, in run defense. And my worry when you get someone like DJ Johnson, I think DJ Johnson is going to be a good talent, and by all means, he's going to be a good player. But uh, does he have the physicality to, to a make one-on-one tackles in space, and two uh, come up and be that run defender if needed? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, you know, we haven't seen him play, so I have no idea, but. Uh, I think that's going to be the hardest gap to fill. Is I think Lonnie Hooker did so many things, and he, uh, you know, he did things both in the running and pass game that uh, are going to be going to be hard to fill. So let's let's hope DJ Johnson can fill that 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 big big space because it's uh, it's going to be a tough spot to fill, in my opinion. You know, another piece of that in the defensive backfield, you got tons of depth at the cornerback spot. I personally believe that Ojemudia was going to be the guy to play that cash position, just because he's physical, he's thick. He, he kind of looked more of that role like Hooker did, but that doesn't appear to be the case, though he's been practicing over there with Hankins and Julius Brents there, Ojemudia, even Riley Moss, who we saw moments, Geno Stone, who is another playmaker at the safety spot. But the other safety in Kavion Merriweather, very interesting prospect, a kid that thought he was going to be a college basketball player, had some you know mid-major offers on the basketball side, and another one of those guys that Phil Parker hit a couple years ago. He was out there last season as a special teamer, and looks like he's going to take over the strong safety spot. Another one. Safety play in general has been very good throughout the years. I'm excited to see what Kayvon Merriweather, what he's going to add to this defense, and really about the only unknown I think that we have overall in the defense. Well, it sounds like, from what I've read, I mean, the job is 100% his, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, DJ Johnson, it sounds like he's still kind of, uh, you know, in flux a little bit. But when they talk about Merriweather, they talk about the fact he is. He is going to be a starting safety, and uh, you know there's no there's no or listed at the position. So it's his job to run with. It looks like, and uh, you know we've talked about it a lot in the past. But uh, when it comes to the D backs, you know as an Iowa fan, we're pretty spoiled because uh, when it comes to Phil Parker, the man is a a D back guru, and it just seems like he pushes the right buttons year in and year out. And uh, I'm confident he will do that again in 2019. So, linebacker, now there's only two starting linebackers. Who gets bumped out? All these guys, all three of them have starting experience. Nick Neiman, Christian Welch, Jamon Colbert. Who's the guy that doesn't a starter next year? My guess is Welch. Um, it just seems like it, coaching staff's never been 100% sold on him. You know, he, didn't, he wasn't the starter out of the gate last year. They kind of moved him around a little last year. Um, and, and I think they're just looking for – who's potentially the highest upside. And I think if, I think Colbert and Neiman are those two guys. I think they're both probably a little more athletic than, than Welch is, and they've got a higher upside. And so I think those two are going to be given the uh, the first opportunities. But, uh, 
you know, you look at our schedule, there's going to be some games where we're going to need three linebackers also. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we go to Michigan. They're, they're, I'm assuming we're going to have to go back to the regular defense there. you got Wisconsin. Uh, you know, you got a, you got a few games in there where we're going to need three linebackers. And, heck, as we showed last year, we needed, what, five? I mean, with injuries and, and, and issues, we were – we were incredibly healthy on the D line last year, but not so much on the on the back seven. Both linebackers, NDBs, we ended up playing quite a few, which uh, leads to kind of a, a good a good issue to have this year because we've got plenty of experience coming back in that back seven. It's just a question of uh, piecing it together and determining which which pieces are the best fit because. You know, you talked about it. we've got four or five linebackers that can fill those two spots, and we've got you know, seven or eight D backs that can fill the four spots. So, uh, a good problem to have. It is. Let's jump over to the offense and mentioning guys that seem to really solidify their spot in the middle of the offensive line. Linderbaum, the kid from over in your neck of the woods, looks like he is, for all intents and purposes, locked up the center possession. He is a guy that we've heard the coaches gush about. Something you don't hear very often from Iowa coaches. Well, kind of the same thing as Merriweather. It sounds like uh, he's going to be given the reins to a, a very important position. You know, Merriweather's going to be calling a lot of the defensive plays in the backfield. And uh, obviously, center, I mean, we rely on them to get us in the right uh, right blocking formations constantly. And it sounds like we are, unless something odd happens in the next four months, he is he is the center for the foreseeable future, which, uh, you know, it's a little scary to think that a kid that wasn't even on the offensive line is now going to be your uh, your starting center. But on the on the flip side of that, like I said, he's one of the guys that the coaching staff certainly has not uh, has not tried to tamper down expectations. I think they're all in on the fact that he is uh, going to be a heck of a player. He he is a lot of excitement there. You have to figure that that Bam Ward will be the guy on one of the sides, and then a lot of different conversations about probably what's going to happen at the other guard spot. There's been talk about maybe moving inside a little bit and going out and taking Kallenberger, who is going to be a tackle probably next season as we anticipate departures from both Tristan Wirfs and Alaric Jackson. But uh, maybe him there. You talk about the Paulsons. A couple of different directions that they could go along that. So that a little bit unsettled is certainly going into the summer. Well, Kallenberger's a guy that's kind of uh... – I don't know if he's in the doghouse or what happened, but he was a guy, you know, this time last year, they were talking about uh, him being that clear six lineman and the guy that they thought would get on the field. And that never really materialized. And, you know, the last practice of the year, the one the media got to go to, it sounds like uh, Worf was out for some minor precautionary injuries and, and that Paulson jumped in at the tackle spot instead of Kallenberger. So I, I don't know if that means he's got some, uh, it, lingering injuries as well, or if he's in the doghouse, or, or what's going on. But he certainly seems like his star is kind of uh, kind of faded a little bit over the last twelve months, which I hope is uh, not a sign of things to come. Because he was a guy that I said that they were really big on a year ago. Speaking of guys that uh, there was some question marks that came up to Amir Smith Marset, we heard a couple of different times. Consistency still not there from him. We know he can be dynamic. We've seen him make big plays for this team. Consistency always seems to be a question, though, overall with Amir Smith-Marset. Your takeaway on him? I, you know, I've said the same thing about Amir Smith-Marset for, for years. Uh, I don't think he's ever going to be that consistent, you know, eight, ten catch-a-guy game type guy. But I think last year we, we found where he can really be helpful. A, special teams, he can, he's a heck of a returner. 
B, I'd really like to see us get him the ball in a little more of a variety of ways. I mean, I don't know if you just we we tend to run about four or five uh, jet sweeps to him a year, but uh, it seems like there's some tunnel screens and just some general ways to get him the ball and just uh, let him uh, let him do what he does best, which is uh, you know do something in space. But so I'd like to see them kind of use him a little more creatively creatively than they have in the past, but uh, I don't think he's ever going to be a guy where you just expect him to go out and, you know, just run run great routes or, or catch, you know, balls over the middle consistently. But, you know, if, if we can find a way to get him the ball 10 times a game, you know, you get four returns, two handoffs, and four catches, that's, uh, you know, you're maximizing him, I think, that way. Spring star, Nico Regani. You uh, getting ready and getting your number 89 jersey ready? Well, it's, you know, it's nice to hear when you get not only coaches but defensive players saying that he's uh, basically unguardable. That he's he's so quick coming out of breaks that you uh, you can't guard him. So, uh, but again, we talked about this last time, Trent. This is an annual occurrence in Iowa football. Uh, who's going to be the next breakout wide receiver star? And uh, very rarely do they materialize. So, uh, I hope this is the rare time where uh, you know spring hype turns into a uh, fall success. But uh, one of the two, whether it's Regini or Tracy, they're going to get plenty of opportunities. And, uh, you know, I think over the last two years, Nate Stanley has shown that he, he likes to throw to that uh, slot receiver and he likes to kind of use them as his security blanket. So, uh, you know, there's 50 catches available between those two. It's just a question of which one uh, steps up and takes the job. And uh, you, you mentioned Nate Stanley. There are a lot of talk about the backup quarterback position. Last year it was Peyton Mansell. As redshirt for Spencer Petrus, you also have Alex Padilla, the incoming freshman who got here early and went through spring practice this year. I just think a lot unsettled. You would anticipate you know, Mansell will still be the guy. Maybe there'll be a slash with his name in Petrus, but really, that's more of a conversation a year from now when we get to 2020. Yeah. Well, the most concerning thing out of the backup quarterback uh, thing, I don't know if you saw, but uh, Mansell came out and admitted that on that play at uh, Penn State. Uh, his first option was indeed throwing the ball to uh, T.J. Hawkinson, which you and I talked about after the game. And, and, uh, you know, I don't want to overthink this too much, Trent, but when your quarterback is gun-shy to throw to the first option, who is clearly wide open on the play, uh, that's probably not a great sign for his uh, comfort level uh, going forward, which, uh, again, don't overthink it. It's one play by by one – first play ever at an incredibly hostile environment. So, uh, But uh, it's not good to – not good to hear that he uh, couldn't pull the trigger and throw it to a wide-open guy on his first read. So What option? And I uh, can't make that read. Yeah, that's a little bit scary there. Finally, one more thing on spring, and, and this just happened, but the announcement that Jay Neiman will be the new defensive line coach, the 10th assistant that's going to be brought in after the retirement of Reese Morgan. Biz, boy, a lot of fanfare and a lot of fighting with the beat writers. Who broke the story first? What a bunch of weirdos. Yeah, I saw that. It's uh you know, Trent, uh, you're, I don't think you qualify as a, as a beat writer. Yeah. Yet, but, uh, I just can't see you uh, jumping in on those types of things. Uh, you know, you're a lot of things, Trent, but uh, petty, petty is not one of them. But uh, it appears uh, there's a lot of pettiness that run in those circles. So uh, I, don't, I don't get why they care all that much. Clearly, it was not meant to be a, a slight towards anyone, but... Uh, a lot of uh, name calling and then and then followed by a lot of apologies. So, 
But yeah, so talking about the assistant strength, so I, again, put Stat Boy on the job. Uh, let's talk about Neiman first a little bit, but then you're ready to do a uh, assistant football quiz or discussion a little bit? Yeah, let's do it. All right, well, let's chat Neiman first. So what's your thoughts on the hire? Good, bad, or uh, in between? Uh, pretty indifferent about it. If his name was Jay Smith as opposed to Jay Neiman, would there be any fanfare at all? It'd just be, ah, here comes this guy, new assistant, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a good hire. I mean, clearly the guy's got uh, the credentials. I mean, goodness, he's he's been a coordinator for, I believe, eleven last 11 years. Um, I guess it's a, a bit concerning that... Uh, you know, he was let go at Rutgers and was that you know, kind of a weird last three months where you go from Rutgers to Wyoming and now Iowa all in, all in three months. But you, know, you can't blame the guy for wanting to come, A, back to his home state, and B, get the opportunity to coach his kid. Um, that's a pretty cool thing. So, you know, I, I, it's pretty cool because, I mean, with his addition, six of our 10 coordinators have, uh, uh, or six of our 10 assistants have coordinator experience, which uh, there can't be many people or many places around the nation that can say that, that 60% of their uh, assistants have been either offensive or defensive coordinators. And, you know, I looked that up, and I, or oh, let's be honest, stat boy looked it up for me. And I, <laughs> I, I added it up uh, 42 years of, of a coordinator experience on our staff, which uh, that, that's, that's a good thing. We've got plenty of experience uh, with the coaching staff. No doubt. No doubt. All right, biz, we're going to let you go for a moment. We'll come back. Stat Boy has worked on a quiz. We'll get to that momentarily. But first, it's time for our Kentucky Derby preview on the Degenerate Hawkeyes podcast. Time to dial up Milton. Joining us right now, only the second guest in Degenerate Hawkeyes history, Mike Wyden. Oh, months ago, years ago, he uh, supplied us with some Michigan information. This time we're going to the podies and we're hitting our Degenerate roots with the guy that knows a little something, something about the horses, and that's our buddy Chris Milton. Mr. Milton. First of all, welcome to the podcast. How does it feel to be guest number two here with the Degenerates? I think you're giving me a little too much credit, but I appreciate the uh, the opportunity to be a part of this. So, Kentucky Derby coming up this weekend. I bet on it every year. I rarely know anything. You do have a background in horse racing, though. You're not somebody like me that just wildly, I like that horse's name. Eh, I like the look of the silks. I'm going to go with that. Or I just had too many beers and I just want to throw money down on something and hope for the best. You uh, you hung around Arlington Park a long time back in the day in Chicagoland, right? That's correct. I grew up about six blocks or so from Arlington. I worked there for a few years. And the best tips came from the the uh, cooks in the different the various restaurants. Those guys always had a, a clue as to who was the pick of the day, and I followed wisely. That's good. So So you got the insider tip there. This Kentucky Derby uh, started already this week with a little bit of a surprise. One of the favorites, and at some places the favorite, was Omaha Beach just yesterday. He was scratched because of an illness, so a lot of people that were starting to build their cards and what they were going to do. The 12-horse was a part of that. Certainly got to be disappointing to the owner group and everybody else involved there. Guy that a lot of people felt, a horse that was a good favorite in this one, a chance to win it, and favorites here of late have won the Kentucky Derby a lot. Yeah, I think they've won five or six years in a row now. And um, he was definitely somebody who was going to be looked at hard by many people. Um, I think this year there's a lot of real good, uh, a ton of horses that have got a good shot at winning or getting on the board. Um, but uh, it's, it's upsetting that, that a horse of that quality is going to be out of the race for sure. 
So does that change how you put together some of your cards and put together some different things, knowing that here as of late, if, if you're a believer in the way that things have trended as of late, that you got to put the favorite a part of it. You're building your, your tries and your boxes and everything else that you got to put the favorite there if you're going to cash out, even if the money is not as big as it used to be with some of these derby wins. Does this change how, how you handicap this race? Yeah, I think it, it, it happens one way or another. Um, the, the way you said it, that you, you know, if you're going to do the gimmick bets, you're going to do the exactas and tries and supers and such, um, you're going to go ahead and include that favorite somewhere. Um, or I actually this year was, was planning on leaving Omaha Beach out, and I was kind of hoping that a lot of the money would get drawn there. And if, if he is out and, and he actually races and runs in the race, that is, and finishes out of the money, then more money comes my way because that's what they do. They take the pool and divide it up and, and pay out, um, you know, those where the, where the money is on. And then all those people that, that lost, that's, that's whose winnings you're taking. It's funny because I talked to um, my radio partner was the horse announcer for a number of years out of Prairie Meadows here. He's still big into horse racing. He works for uh, CG Technology out of Vegas and is their horse racing handicapper. He was disappointed because he was similar to you. He wasn't going to have Omaha Beach a big part of it, and because of that, some of the horses that he liked, their odds are going to get shorter now. So maybe not the the same big money-making hope for a lot of people out there because a lot of people were already crossing out Omaha Beach. Yeah, maybe, but like I said earlier, I, I really think there's six, seven, maybe eight horses that can win this race okay. um, more than usual. So there, there's certainly some with odds that are going to have a shot, in my opinion. All right, let's get into some of those horses that you like. Who do you got at the forefront? Who is who is your favorite when you take a look at it? Well, when you look at when you look at the the Derby, you start with Baffert horses. I think I think it's got to be figured in one way or another. He's got three of them. He's got the five improbable. He's got the sixteen game winner and seventeen roadster, and um, they've all raced against each other here and there. Um, you, you know, you could put all three in, and, and, and I think you'll find one of them, at least in the money, if not two. But the one I've got circled is Game Winner. Um, he's a big horse. Uh, he's run six times. He's won four. He's finished second twice. He lost to Omaha Beach by a nose his last time out. Um, but it was a shorter race, and I just think he's got more left. And in and, uh, and a little bit longer race, I think he would have run him down. Game winner is somebody that I've heard a lot of people already mention this week. In fact, do you think he's going to go off maybe as the favorite now? Yeah, I think so. I think it depends a little bit, too, on the weather. They're calling for some rain, mm-hmm. um, which we've seen a lot lately. And um, Roadster, if it's dry um, and it's a good, um, if, it's, if it's a good track, I think Roadster could jump him. Um, if it's wet, I think game winner and improbable will, will probably be battling for those top, for that top spot. So if we do get rain and the reports that I've seen, how wet it's going to be, uh, you know, the old Seinfeld adage uh, about a mutter, who's, who's a guy or two, who's one of these horses that you look at that on a dry surface, probably be, wouldn't be somebody that you're putting in there. But if it is wet, if we do get a bunch of rain that can run in the slop well. Well, I think I look at it a little bit the other way. I look at um, when it's wet, it's real hard for those closers to come in. 
Okay. Um, it's hard to come in a closer to come in in the Derby to begin with. There's 20 horses. They're used to running against sometimes uh, races with six, seven horses. Um, when there's 20, there's just a lot more to pass. The lanes get tight. It makes it a little tougher. Doesn't mean it's impossible, but it's tougher. Then factor in some, you know, you're chasing down somebody who's kicking mud in your face and stuff, and some of these horses that aren't used to it really struggle. Um, so with that said, um, that's where I start crossing a few guys out. Um, as far as those that have some experience that I looked at that are in, in the in the mud, as far as I've seen, um, you got War of Will and Tash, the one and twos have ra- has raced a little bit in the rain. Um, I mean, let's face it, we've had a, a really wet spring here, so a lot of them have had some experience. Um, the Coma, Tacitus won in the rain um, his last time out. Um, game winner has not, but I, I've just seen and read so much about him that he's such a big, strong horse, and he runs near the front of the pack, kind of like a stretcher or a presser up on the front, um, that I don't think he's going to have too much of an issue with it. Um, and then another one is, um, is spinoff is that, that's a, that's a closer. That's a Pletcher horse. It's a, he's a closer number 19, um, that has one in the rain. Um, so that's one, that one's interesting to me, although being 19 hole is a real tough place to go all the way and, and, and win it. Yeah. And, and that's one that I, I looked at a little bit too. And you mentioned war of will, and that's somebody that I think I'm going to wait day of, but if I see something, a, the one post is the kiss of death, as we know in the past at the Kentucky Derby. You start that one spot, you're not going to win. But he's won on this track. He's won in the mud before. And I think you'll get a nice price just because overall people will see the one and they're going to stay away there. So that's something that I'll be keeping a look at and maybe make some history with the horse uh, sitting at that post position at the one spot with War of Will. That's one that I got at least a star next to, depending on the weather. Yeah, you're right. That that one post, they just get banged so hard when they come out and they get pinched. And, and if they can settle in nicely somewhere, you know, after the first turn, they're usually okay, but, but it's just tough to get out of there. All right. Any other horses jumping out to you overall, other horses that you like in this race? I like the 13 Code of Honor a little bit. Um, he was sired by Orb, who won, I think, in like 2013 or 14. Um I like 13 to, to have a chance to hit the board. Um, if you're looking a little bit longer shot, um, I think Vacoma has some early speed. Um, he hasn't run in the slot, but he he can um, he can get out, and then he shouldn't have too much of an issue. You know, sometimes you say they, they haven't run in the slot, so they're not going to be good. Well, that's not necessarily true. They just haven't had a chance to prove it yet. So that's a factor as well. But um, honestly, I, I like game winner on top, and I like um, – I like to, to – I'm going to factor in Roadster and, and Improbable for sure. But Tacitus is one that I think is going to sit at that 10-to-1 range. I like him. And then Code of Honor and, and Spinoff and Long Range Toddy are two of the longer shots, I think, have a shot to hit the board. Bodie Express, uh, Biz's uh, son's namesake, any shot at all, he'll be taking over the spot vacated after the scratch of Omaha Beach. Anything for Bodie? You know what? I think Bodie should stick to cross-country meets. Um, but, you know, in general, I didn't have a lot of time to study him because he just got brought in this morning. Mm-hmm. Um, but, no, I, 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 think he's, I think he's overmatched. So give us across the board. You get, Give us a trifecta that you're going to be firing at. A tri-box, $2 tri-box that will cost you, what, 12 bucks? What do you got for us? Uh, so 
So just three horses, huh? Yep. I'm gonna go with game winner, uh, improbable, and I'm gonna I'm gonna include Tacitus. So All that right. is the the five eight sixteen. Five eight sixteen tri box. All right, I'm I'm certainly gonna play that one. I'll tell you what I came up with today when I was putting mine together. I mentioned war of will, but that is more dependent on the weather. I am gonna go with with you. I'm with sixteen. I'm also on game winner, so. I think a lot of people are going to have that involved, as we mentioned a little bit earlier. Going 16, where was it? 16, 1, and who else did I have in there? I'm already forgetting. 16, 1, and 6. 16, 1, and 6. There it is. 16, 1, and 6. So we are, yeah, That that's, if you're looking for a lottery ticket, you're looking for something that, that you're going to have, a nice jingle in your pocket afterwards come, oh, about 6 o'clock on Saturday evening. That's the one that I'm jumping on. You know what I like to do is, is to key a horse and then throw a few extras underneath. So then you're you're cutting down how much you got to lay out. Mm-hmm. Obviously, when you key, you've got to have that guy hit where you expect him to. So typically, I would key like a game winner on top, 16, and then I would take and couple, oh, let's say four or five horses underneath and then you start, yeah, you may lay out $24 or so on the, on the, the dollar or $2 try boxes, depending on how many horses you put in there. But then you get the rest to mix in for second and third, and you can include a few others, like Code of Honor that I put out there um, and some of those long runs that, that are the, the 18 and 19 or, or your Vacoma. I don't I don't mind Vacoma either. Six. Yep, that's, that's one that I, I agree with you there and uh, one that I got circled. Well, Melt, it's been interesting getting your perspective here. I love playing the ponies. I don't know a whole lot about it. So you got a little more insider for us. You know how to what to look for a little bit more than the rest of us at horses. And let's hope for the best this weekend and we can uh, get going, horse racing, and get us through this offseason before we get back to to Hawkeye football. You, uh, What other thing, though? So of our group and our text group, there's 10 of us in there, and we text mostly during – Iowa basketball games, though sometimes football if they're on the road. Basketball, though, of our group, you are certainly the most ardent. Uh, you, you get the most frustrated, I believe, with Fran McCaffrey. Why do you hate Fran so much? <laughs> I thought we were talking about horses. Oh, yeah. I, I just had to throw this in. Um, all right. So, so here's what I'll say on Fran. It's not that I hate Fran. Uh, I recognize the positive he's brought to, the, to Iowa, Iowa basketball. Um, quality character kids for the most part, fights for his players, you know, a player's coach, that kind of thing. The issue I have with him, and I think there's plenty of said it, is the childish explosions and poor representation he, he gives on the sidelines sometimes. Um, you know, we don't have to go through them specifically. Uh, there's been plenty of them. But he's the leader of, of what, 18 to 22-year-old men. And, and recently, more recently, a lot of 18 and 19-year-old men. Um they, they play in one of the toughest conferences in the country every single year, and we expect these kids to keep their composure in, in high-pressure situations, close games, um, you know, on the road. And uh, he's not required to. Um, he, um, you know, we complain about the, the long stretch of road woes that we've had or we did have. Um, and, and we're saying that, that this guy, who's, who's supposed to be their leader, is – 
is blowing up, and then we criticize the kids who can't hold a lead up four when they're on the road, you know, in Wisconsin or something like that. Uh, I just think you lead by example, um, and it gets frustrating. I, I just don't think it's appropriate, and, and I guess that's the way I would put it. I think it's all fair, I, and, and I completely understand it in a way, but we uh, we go back and forth on this from time to time. We'll we'll save that for another time, though, Melt. Thank you for being our second guest, horse racing aficionado, Mr. Arlington Park, Brian Melton. Thanks, Melt. Hey, Trent, one quick question for you. Yeah. I'm heading to Vegas Sunday for work. Yes. Besides the Bears winning the Super Bowl, you got any future bets for me? Uh, well, if you would have asked me before the NHL playoffs, you'd be holding a nice 12-1 to San Jose Sharks ticket. But that aside, well, here's another thing right now, and you won't be able to get this by the time you get out there. I saw it this morning, because I bet on it this morning, Golden State was minus 175 to win the NBA title. Houston, though I think in some semblance of a series, could certainly beat them. They're not winning four out of five to win this series. Nobody coming out of the Denver-Portland series is going to beat Golden State. And then anybody out of the East, Celtics are talented. The Bucks have, you know, Antetokounmpo. But nobody is beating this team. At minus 175, it feels of the locks of all locks. So take a deeper look. Even when you get out there, I don't know, maybe they'll lose to Houston and those numbers will stay the same. I would jump aboard that absolutely at that price. Seems too good to be true. Famous last words. I'll take it. Take it to the bank. And uh, I don't know if any college football over-unders will be released by then. Take a deeper look at the Iowa schedule. If it's eight and a half, it's going to be really tough. Even though I think this team is going to be good, getting a nine wins with the schedule Iowa has this year is going to be really difficult. Yeah, yeah, I think we can get there, but I don't know that I'd be betting on it. Well, Milt, enjoy Vegas. Uh, what, little Shady O'Shea's action for you? I'm staying at Mandalay Bay for a conference, which is at the, the complete opposite end. But I will be making uh, Uber runs down to that way because that's just where I feel most comfortable. It's where things are done. It is the best place, though. <laughs> a little little nicer than uh, the days that we used to hang out there every Memorial Day weekend. And uh, what else? What, what's, what else will be going on that you'll be able to bet on? Yeah, it's going to be well, M- NBA, we got, NHL. We got the PGA coming up in a week. Oh. I will take a deeper look at that. I, I've been pretty good at some of my futures on the golf scene, so I'll start to take an early look, and I'll try to fire one your way, all right? Appreciate it. All right. See you, Mel. All right. Take care. So there is our horse racing insider, Melt checking in with some thoughts on the Kentucky Derby for Ann McCaffrey and a trip to Vegas on the horizon. All right. Let's get Bez back in here and quiz time for your boy, TC. All right, Trent. So we got a, a five Five question uh, assistant quiz for you. I think you should be able to do well on this. Uh, they're not exactly uh, brain busters, but there's some interesting information that, that Stat Boy sent my way that we can kind of piece out. So, question number one, Trent. Mm-hmm. Which two assistants were star quarterbacks in college? Which two star quarterbacks? I'll give you a hint. Uh, neither one of them are coaching quarterbacks currently. Star quarterbacks in college. I know it's not Kelvin Bell. He's a little too hefty to, uh, unless you're Jared Lorenzen, to be a quarterback. I'm going to say Seth Wallace and hmm, Keaton Copeland. All right, one for two. Copeland is correct. Copeland uh, was a, a running option quarterback at Emporia State, and he actually holds the uh, – 
school record for rushing yards by a quarterback both season and career. The other one, very surprising, uh, Tim Polisek, the offensive line coach, not only was he a quarterback, but he was a great one. But Concordia University in Wisconsin, he holds pretty much every quarterback record there. Uh, Yardage in a single game, yardage single season, career touchdown passes, career touchdown passing yards, completion percentage uh, across the board. So uh, he's a Concordia College legend. So you half credit for number one. All right, so one for two here to start off. What do you got next? Number two, which assistant or which assistant or coordinator was a three-time first-team All-Big Ten uh, performer uh, back in the 80s? Back in the 80s, first-team All-Big Ten. Three times. Three times. 80, I think it was 83, 84, and 85. It's got to be Phil Parker, doesn't it? It is Phil Parker. Yeah. I knew Phil was a, a D-back at Michigan State, but... You go back and look at his credentials, uh, very impressive. Three-time All-Big All Ten first team, two-time defensive MVP for some very good Michigan State teams, and he's now been working. He basically went straight from uh, straight from, from playing to coaching. He's 30-plus years of working with D-back, so there, there's a reason he is the uh, D-back whisperer. He's got plenty of, uh, plenty of not only uh, talent but experience as well. All right, so, number three. Number three. So which assistant coach, Trent, played football at Iowa State, coached at Drake, UNI, and Simpson? He's kind of uh, hit the uh, the big four, uh, all four of them now that he's at Iowa. He's at Iowa State, Drake, UNI, and Iowa. That's Jay Neiman. It is Jay Neiman. He has uh, covered his bases. The man uh, has credentials here in the state. So you're doing well, Trent. On to number four. Um, this is a tricky one. Uh, which assistant has an incredible 83% winning percentage as a head coach? As a head coach, it's got to be Ken O'Keefe. Yes, good old Ken O'Keefe, 83-17 and 17 <laughs> at D3 colleges, uh, Allegheny College, and then one year at Fordham. So uh, 83%, that, that's uh, Saban-esque. Very, very good, yeah. All right, so uh, well, I- starting to knock these out of the park. You got a tough yeah. one for me? Last one, really tough one. So, which assistant has the honor of saying that all three of his daughters have been coached in softball by the legendary Stat Boy? All three of his daughters have been coached by Stat Boy. I've mentioned it in the past, I think, at least once. LeVar Woods. No, that's a good guess, but it is Kelton Copeland. It is Kelton Copeland. All right. All three of the Copeland daughters have been... under the tutelage of Stat Boy, so uh, get ready for a uh, the, you know, whatever. The, I guess the 2030 softball team should be awful good when they when they uh, are ready to get to the University of Iowa after being after being taught by Stat Boy. A couple of state championships up in Fort Dodge, I'm sure, for the uh, Iowa City Liberty, and then on to the University of Iowa to play some softball. That sounds about right. Yeah, well, he did pretty well, Trent. Three and a half out of five. So. uh that's passing grade. Good job. I pass. That's what I look for. All right, Biz, before we get out of here, Biz's Beat. Hey, kids, gather around for Biz's Beat of the Day. Okay, here's Biz's Beat of the Day. Well, Biz's Beat this week, I don't know if you've been following the uh, debacle of a trial that's going on with the uh, assistant coaches, but uh, how in the world do people like Will Wade and Sean Miller continue to have jobs? I just... It, is beyond me how uh, multiple 
taped phone conversations where they openly admit to uh, either paying players or, or knowing that the players are being paid. How, how do you keep your job, Trent? I just don't get it. Yeah, it's a great question and something that is quite baffling. Just deny, 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 I guess. Isn't, isn't well, you're a lawyer. Isn't that something that works for some people? Well, it works until there's uh, recorded evidence showing that the denial is uh, false. I mean, you can deny all you want, but when there's an actual recording of your voice uh, talking about it, that's pretty hard to deny anymore. So I just, to me, the whole thing is sad because it basically uh, shows that uh, if you're not cheating, uh, you're not cheating, you're not trying. Plus, uh, why wouldn't you cheat? I mean, yeah. it sounds like you can cheat and either you know, get away with it, or even if you get caught, you're not going to get punished for it. So uh, the whole thing's depressing because you know, you'd like to think that there's there's programs out there that are up on the up and up and, and doing things the right way, and you'd like to think that I was one of them. But, uh, you know, I think it's probably few and far between, sadly. That is where we live. Well, Biz, uh, we took a, a meandering through spring football, maybe some basketball news on the horizon with DJ Harvey. Uh, looking at his official visit at Iowa, also Vanderbilt in the mix for him, a transfer, the Hauser brothers from Marquette. Unfortunately, no PTL to get us through the summertime, but little Iowa baseball, too, and a big series coming up this weekend. Yeah, they're going to play the, the, the old Anteaters, and, uh, you know, it's hard to over, overstate just how amazing of a job Rick Keller has done, especially this year. I, I saw this team early in the year, and they are not a, an overly talented baseball team, but... Uh, they do the little things that can get you uh, in contention in the Big Ten. They, they throw strikes. They uh, they don't beat themselves, and, and they're patient at the plate. They, uh, you know, they're by no means a great team, but he gets the best out of these teams every year, which is uh, fun to watch. And it's supposed to be seventy this week, so I think Stat Boy and I uh, may sneak over and uh, watch a little Hawkeye anteater uh, action. Yes, and bring home another series victory. That would be good, and certainly give Iowa a real good chance of uh, solidifying their chance right now. Kind of on the fringes of the NCAA tournament. Got to keep to play good baseball and, and have a nice run in the Big Ten tournament. But you win two out of three or even get a sweep this weekend against UC Irvine, I was going to be in really good shape uh, if they can find a way to do that over at Dwayne Banks Field. Biz, cheer hard for us. We'll talk again soon. Well, plus, real quick, Trent, both your twins and my Mets are not terrible. And actually, your twins are... Best team in the American oh, League. As we record. Oh, there's there's the kiss of death right there. Best record in the mark, American League. Mark, mark down what that record was when you made that comment because uh, they had a heck of an April, let's put it that way. They did. 18-10 and 10 on the year, and uh, they'll limp to an 80-82 and 82 finish, I'm sure. 18-10. and 10. Let's remember that, Twins fans. That was the, that was the record when, t- when Trent gave them the kiss of death. Best called record. Them the, called them the best team in baseball. No, no, no. no. I, I said best. Well, I meant best record in the American League. That is not what you said. So the, the tape don't lie, Trent. Uh, Words have meaning. I know. I know. All right, Biz. We'll talk again soon. All right, Tip.